0: Tonight, if you would go to Exodus chapter 33 with me, Exodus chapter 33, we find ourselves in the flow of the story in Exodus in the middle of one of the lowest periods of Israel as a people, as a nation before God. It's very interesting the way that the book of Exodus is set up, the way that it's arranged, Because almost the whole half, uh, the second half of the book of Exodus is focused on the plans for and the construction of a place where God will dwell. So really from about chapter 25 on all the way through chapter 40, you have Moses on top of the mountain receiving instructions from God about the tabernacle about how it's to be designed, what it's to be made of, all of the furnishings that will go inside of it. And the ultimate purpose of this tabernacle, sometimes referred to as a tent of meeting, the whole purpose of it is for God to dwell in the midst of his people. It says that explicitly in chapter 25, that God would dwell in the midst of his people. And then the last Several chapters of Exodus from about chapter 35 to the end is the construction of that tabernacle where God will dwell in the midst of his people. And right in the middle of that whole section on the design and then the building of the tabernacle is this golden calf incident. In which while God is is talking with Moses about the place where he will dwell, the people at the exact same moment are down below at the foot of the mountain in the camp worshiping a bull made out of gold. And God, in response to that, sends Moses down to them, and in his anger he refers to them not as his own people, but he says to Moses, your people. Go deal with your people. Look at this great sin that they've already gotten themselves into. They have quickly turned aside from the way. And so Moses goes down, and and there is a series of punishments and intercessions between the Lord and Moses, intercessions, and then also some repercussions that come to the Israelite people because of their transgression. The first thing that God threatens is that he's going to completely wipe out the Israelites and start over with Moses. But Moses pleads with God. Moses intercedes with God. And on the basis of God's own character, on the basis of his own promises, on the basis of of the, the fame of his own name, Moses says, Lord, don't do that. Please have mercy on your people. Don't destroy them. And God listens to Moses. He listens to his intercession. He decides not to follow through on that threat. To destroy them, Moses goes down to the bottom of the mountain. He sees what's been going on. He destroys the idol. He makes the people drink the remnants of it in the water. And then he sends the Levites out throughout the camp to put to death 3,000 of those who were guilty in the middle of the camp. Then Moses goes back up to the Lord again and pleads on behalf of the people. And God listens to his intercession, but God still says to Moses, those who have sinned, they will be punished. God brings a plague on the people. And the plague wipes out an untold number of people. And then the Lord says to Moses in the beginning of chapter 33, almost as if still not not fully yet, back in full harmony with these people. Moses, take these people and go. Just leave. Leave this mountain. Leave this place. Leave this holy place where I have focused my presence on the top of Mount Sinai. Go. Go to the land that I promised. I'll fulfill that promise that I made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You can have the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, but I'm not going with you. I'm not going with you. And we see in the first six verses of chapter 33 that we as sinners can't live with God. We as sinners can't live with God because if we were in our own condition, in our own sin, in our own rebellion against God, if we were to live with God, if God's presence were to be in the midst of us, then we would be destroyed. And that's what he says to Moses. He says, I, I, you go on, I'll send my angel, I'll send a representative, a messenger, he'll lead you to the place. You can go to the land, I'll fulfill my promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but I'm not going with you. My presence will not go with you because if I did, I might destroy you along the way. Why? Because it's a holy God in the middle of a sinful, rebellious, stiff-necked people. When the people hear this, verses 4, 5, and 6, it says that they mourned. They mourned, a mourning of repentance, a mourning of sorrow. They took off their ornaments, their jewelry, the jewelry that was left after they had already given their earrings to Aaron to make the golden calf. And there's some evidence to suggest that this jewelry probably had connections to false worship that maybe had an image or some wording perhaps, somehow it was attached to these Egyptian gods, the place where they're leaving. And God says to them, take these off, get rid of them, don't wear these ornaments anymore, and the people comply. So they're they're mourning in sorrow, they strip themselves of these ornaments and in, in in a symbol kind of like sitting in sackcloth and ashes that we see in other places in scripture, symbolizing repentance. And then in this passage that we're going to be looking at tonight, we see that on the one hand, we can't live with God as a sinful people, cannot live in the presence of a holy God. But we're also going to see in this passage tonight that we can't live without him. We can't live without God. And so somehow that tension has to be resolved, doesn't it? We can't live in the midst of a holy God because we're a sinful people. And yet at the same time, we can't live without God because it is the very presence of God that defines his people. So how is that tension going to be resolved? And I think the tension is resolved through Moses who rep, who is a mediator for the people. He is the one who stands in the gap between a sinful people and a holy God and he, in a very clear way, I think, prefigures and portrays the, the mediatorial work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who stands between us as sinners and a holy God. And so let's read this passage together in Exodus 33, verse, beginning of verse 7, and I'm going to read through verse 17. Now, Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance. While the Lord spoke with Moses, Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege of looking at your word tonight. Help us to learn from this record of the interactions between you and your servant, Moses. Help us to learn what this teaches us about who you are and how glorious and holy you are in your character. Uh, Help us to learn from this, Lord, how you have planned to dwell in the midst of a sinful people. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see in this images, pictures, reminders of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for us on the cross of Calvary. And we pray this in his name. Amen. And so we can't live with God, but we need to live with God. We need him. How is that resolved? It's resolved through a mediator. And we see Moses fulfilling that role in this passage. Verses 7 through 11 are kind of like a flashback, if you will. It's kind of like bringing into the storyline something that has been going on for some time. Just to remind us of the importance of the presence of God in the midst of his people. Because God had just said to Moses, you can go, but I'm not going with you. And then it reminds us of the fact that God has been present with his people all along this whole way from Egypt all the way through the wilderness to this point at Mount Sinai. And it describes what would typically happen in the way that Moses would meet with God. And so Moses would go out to a tent, some, a small tent probably, that, that he would set up at different places where they would go. And he would pitch this tent outside of the camp, but he called it the tent of meeting. Now, I just want us to make, make sure that we understand that, that this is not the tabernacle. Now, some more critical liberal scholars who have studied Exodus have said, "Ah, oh, there's a contradiction here. Because this says the tent of meeting that Moses went to was outside the camp, some distance away from the camp. But other passages say the tent of meeting is going to be in the middle of the camp. But what they're failing to distinguish is that these are two different tents. So these are two different tents. This is, I believe, and and the way that the Hebrew verbs kind of portray it, it portrays it as kind of a, a repeated action of this is what would happen, kind of like a typical pattern. And the typical pattern is that from the time they left Egypt until now, Moses had this pattern of meeting with God. This is before the tabernacle is constructed. So Moses has been up on the mountain receiving instructions for the tabernacle, but it has not yet been constructed. It doesn't start getting constructed until after all of these events, beginning in chapter 35. So this is a different tent. It's called the tent of meeting, but it's a different tent. The reason it has the same name is because it essentially serves the same function as a place where God can meet with his people. So this is a small tent, kind of like a, a, a tent before the tent, if you will, it's a tent before the tabernacle, and Moses would go there, and this is where he would meet with God, where he would receive messages from God, where he would communicate with God and receive his word. If someone had an a, an issue, maybe a ruling that needed to be made, and Moses needed to hear the word of the Lord about this matter, they would come to Moses, and then Moses would go into the tent, and he would meet with God. And not only that, but there was also a visible manifestation of the presence of God with Moses at this tent. It says that the pillar of cloud, the same pillar of cloud that had been leading them ever since the Exodus, would come and be near Moses at this tent, at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. And so this is likely some kind of a theophany, a visible manifestation of the presence of God. And it says that Moses would talk with God and God would talk with Moses as a person speaks face to face. In other words, Moses and the Lord would have direct person to person communication. In other words, not through visions, not through dreams, not through trances, not through these other means of God revealing himself, but clearly and distinctly in speech, talking person to person. Now some have had trouble with the way that this is phrased in verse number 11 when it says that the Lord would speak to Moses face-to-face. Because later on, the Lord specifically tells Moses, no one can see my face and live. And so people try to point to a contradiction there and say, see that God on the one hand says you can't see my face, and here it says they're talking face-to-face. I think what is happening here in verse number 11 is this is an idiom. Uh, this is a Hebrew, this is an expression that essentially means person to person, direct communication. It does not mean that Moses literally saw the Lord's face. But it means that they're speaking to one another directly, person to person, as a friend speaks to another friend. But the Lord is taking the form of a pillar of cloud. That is his visible manifestation to Moses. Just as the Lord appeared to Moses in the wilderness as a burning bush and spoke to him directly out of that burning bush, took a a different visible form, but directly speaking to him. And so he doesn't see the full 100% magnificent glory of God because God says you can't do that and live. But here he is meeting with God, a, a, some kind of a visible representation of God in this pillar of cloud, and he's communicating with him, face-to-face, friend-to-friend. And this has been the typical pattern. Why is that important? Why does uh, Moses insert that here, kind of as a parenthesis or a flashback in the midst of this story? It's because this is what is at stake. If the Lord does not go with his people. Because what did he just say to Moses at the beginning of this passage? You go on ahead to the land of the Canaanites, the Perizzites. I'll fulfill my promise, but I'm not going with you. My presence will not go with you because if I did, I might destroy you. If the Lord does not go with his people, this is what they would lose. They would lose that visible manifestation of the presence of God. They would miss that opportunity for Moses to meet with God. There's a lot at stake here. And so that background is important to what Moses does next then, is after the Lord says, you go, but I'm not going with you because I might destroy you, then Moses intercedes. And Moses intercedes in verse number 12, and he says to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. And I think that may be a direct relation to what the Lord had just told him about sending an angel. So the Lord says, I'm not going with you, but I'll send my angel ahead of you. And Moses is, in essence, asking here, Lord, what are you saying? Who who are you going to send? I don't understand. You've called me to lead these people, but now you're saying an angel will go with us and lead them. Lord, I don't understand. You've not let me know who this is that you will send with me. And then then Moses goes on and he says, you have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. In other words, this is an expression that often connotes the idea of the Lord's choice of someone of his grace, of his choice, falling on a person, and the Lord calling that person to himself in relation, but also for a specific act of service. And that's exactly what the Lord did to Moses, didn't he? In Exodus chapter 3, when he showed up in that bush as a flaming fire, and he said, I am calling you, Moses, to lead my people out of Egypt to the land that I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When it, when it says the Lord knows me by name, it means the Lord put his love, his, his elective choice on me, called me for himself, called me for his purpose for this service. And so Moses is saying back to the Lord, you've said to me, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. Then Moses says, well, if that is true, if you are pleased with me, then teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. And I don't think that what Moses is asking for here is necessarily a long lesson in theology. I think what Moses is asking for here is directly related to what's happening at the moment. It is, Lord, explain to me how how this works. Lord, you've said that you're going to go with us. You've said that that you're leading us out of Egypt. You're going to fulfill your promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You've said that that your whole plan, your whole purpose is for you to dwell in the midst of your people. It's almost as if Moses is saying here, Lord, I don't understand. Teach me your ways. Explain to me what you are doing here. How can you say, Lord, I'm How can you say, Lord, I'm going to build this tabernacle and I'm going to dwell in the midst of you. But now you're saying, I'm not going to go with you. Teach me your ways, Lord. So I may know you and continue to find favor with you. And then he begins to intercede specifically on behalf of the people. And he says to the Lord, remember that this nation is your people this is a pretty bold intercession, isn't it? I I doubt that you can go anywhere in scripture with maybe the exception of Abraham. When he negotiates with God over Sodom and Gomorrah, with the exception of Abraham, no one else in all of scripture. Can you see, have this kind of boldness before the face of God? And In essence, telling the Lord, reminding the Lord of things that the Lord has already said. Remember that this nation is your people. Now, had the Lord forgotten that? No, the Lord had not forgotten that. The Lord was not unaware uh, that these were his people that he had called. But Moses is specifically replying back to the Lord when the Lord says to Moses, these are your people, you take your people and go. Moses is saying, Lord, these are your people. You redeemed these people. You brought these people out of Egypt. These are your people. And so the Lord replies in verse 14, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Again, the Lord listens to the intercession of Moses. This is the third time in this flow of the story that the Lord has listened to the intercession of Moses and agreed to what Moses is asking of the Lord. That is an incredible testimony to the role that Moses played in, in God's relationship with his people. That truly Moses was that speaking with the Lord as a friend to a friend. And the Lord listened to him and he says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then in verses 15 and 16, Moses gives the reason why this is so important, why we can't live without God. He says to the Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Moses is in essence saying to the Lord, Lord, if you are not going to go with us, then we don't want to go. We don't want to go because what truly matters the most to us and what, what makes us your people is you. You. God, what makes us your people is you, your presence among us. What else will distinguish us from all the other peoples on the face of the earth except you and your presence among us? And it's almost as if Moses is saying here, Lord, we don't want the land flowing with milk and honey if you're not there. We don't want the lush fields of Canaan if you're not there with us. We don't want the promised land if we can't have the one who promised it. Lord, we desire to be with you. We need your presence. We need God, you to be with us. And as I was thinking about that, I I was just thinking about ourselves and thinking about do we have this kind of a passion, a love, a zeal for the presence of God in our lives? And I think one way of thinking about that is, what is it about eternal life? What is it about heaven that really gets you excited? What is it that you're looking forward to in heaven? Would you want the streets of gold and eternal life if God weren't there? Would you want a a place where the lion could lie down with the lamb? and where there was peace forevermore, perfect provision, perfect everything, the Garden of Eden, if you will. Would you want that if Jesus was not there? And I hope we would say, no, I don't want all that if you're not there. That's essentially what Moses is saying here. Lord, we we don't want your gifts without you. We want you to be there. We desire you above all things. We need God. We need his presence. And even today now, as the church of Jesus Christ, what marks us off, what distinguishes us as the people of God is the presence of God among us. Because we have, if you are a believer in Christ you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. That is the presence of God. And that is what distinguishes us. That's what marks us off as being God's people is not only that Christ redeemed us, but that his presence continues to abide with us. As Jesus says to his disciples, go and make, all, make disciples everywhere and lo, I am with you always even to the very end of the age. Christ's presence. So we need the presence of God. It defines who we are. But also in our sin, we can't live in the presence of God. So how do we resolve that tension? We need someone like Moses to stand in the gap for us. Someone like Moses who will go before the throne of God and plead with God on our behalf, and we have someone who is greater than Moses who has done that for us. We have the Lord Jesus Christ, who has gone before the throne of heaven, sitting at the right hand of God, and he says to his Father, these are your people. These are your people. You have redeemed them. I laid down my life's blood for them. These are your people. And so because God the Father looks at us as his children through the work of his precious Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, God can live, can dwell among, even his spirit dwell sinful people because our sin has been covered by the blood of the lamb. And we can be in the presence of God, not because we're worthy, but because Christ is worthy. And so how can sinners dwell in the midst of a holy God? Through a mediator, through Christ, the one who died for our sins. And this passage reminds us that just as much for the Israelites, that their identity, their whole life, their whole purpose for existence was wrapped up in the presence of God, so also is ours. Who we are as people is defined by God's work and his presence among us. So may we long with all of our heart, may we long for God. May we long to be with Jesus Christ. May we long for eternal fellowship with God as friend to friend. And praise God that we can have that through the Lord Jesus Christ. As the Lord Jesus said to his disciples, he said to them in the upper room, I call you my friends. And now because of Christ's work for us, we too are friends of God. And we are friends of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm looking forward to the day when we can be with Christ face to face. We can commune with God in the presence of God. And his glory is manifest among us. And we can enjoy that for all of eternity. And so thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we can dwell with a holy God. And he dwell with us. And that he can be glorified among us. May we desire him, may we long to be with him, and may we seek to serve him with all of our lives. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father, we thank you for what you have accomplished for us in your grace and your mercy toward us as sinners. Or what a marvelous display of your mercy and your grace in this passage! that even though the Israelites had sinned terribly against you, that, Lord, you had compassion on them, you had mercy on them, and through the mediator of Moses that you had called and appointed, Lord, you decreed that your presence would still go with and remain among your people. Lord, remind us that who we are, our whole purpose, our identity, is all wrapped up in you and what you have done for us. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Lord, help us to be your people, your light that you have called us to be. And Lord, may your name be exalted through us, through your church. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.